Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of The Snapshot. We are your hosts. My name is Brendan Patrick, and I'm joined by none other than KM Best. The Snapshot is a... I, uh, hold on. I'm interrupting you here. I'm taking you over the podcast. <laughs> I'm taking it over. You, you, give me, you gave me a nickname every other week. I came up with one for you. Okay? Here, follow me on this. Mm-mm. The most electrifying man in long-form internet content entertainment. Well, no, yes, uh, it does roll straight off the tongue. You're right. It's, it's right. Really- <laughs> it's very, it's very catchy. <laughs> it's very uh, easy. But, um, you yeah. know, I think that this is, it sounds like a cry, for, uh, cry for help from you because you want me to revert back to your old nickname, which is I'm joined by none other than Marvel snap. No, no, Phenom. I'm, I'm good without, I'm good Phenom. without Phenom. <laughs> KMS. I'm good without Phenom. I, I honestly, I came up with this yesterday. I was like, oh, I should call him the most electrifying man in like incredibly wordy description of podcast <laughs> entertainment, right? Like the most electrifying man in a mildly long form, but not too long form podcast entertainment, card game podcast entertainment. Like the longer it gets, the funnier it gets to me. Just be a little subtext for me. Well, anyway, the snapshot, uh, yeah, obviously it's a competitive Marvel snap game. We're thrown off here, but episode five is all about the last minute infinite. Um, we're going to be talking about lists, tips and tricks, and going over some fundamentals from earlier pods. And with that, the most electrifying man and all of whatever. No, the most electrifying man in semi-long-form competitive card game podcast entertainment. Let's get into it. (laughs) All right, Cam, how has your week been in Marvel Snap other than sort of contemplating the uh, the awesome nickname that you came up with what is what is what is yeah, your no, game i think play it's really good what's what's the gameplay oh, been no, like the this game, past week? gameplay's been all right it, it it's been what it's been right well zabu and silver surfer are probably better than anything else he could be playing so i've been playing a lot of zabu uh, i've mm-hmm. been tuning my my zabu deck to the point that i think it's it's uh not necessarily like a step above but what it what i have built it to do is to be able to play games where you don't draw Zabu and you can still win those games very handily. And I think that's a pretty big upside because generally at this point in the metagame, when you play a Zabu and snap on turn two, they're leaving. So there's something to be said for being able to win the games where you don't draw Zabu, especially because Zabu on turn two has become such a lower cube rate play than it used to be. So some significant cube equity can be gained in winning those games where that doesn't happen. Yeah, definitely. I was actually trying out some of the uh, the Shuri list recently, sort of like the big list with Taskmaster. Um, I don't have Sauron, but yeah, I mean, I've had fun with those, to be honest. I've actually had a lot of success. Seems like Shang-Chi has sort of exited the meta a bit. Um, it still definitely exists, but uh, it's, I'm not running into it every single game. So that's been nice. I've been having fun with those lists. Obviously, the Zabu Surfer uh, sort of par for par for the course at this point. There, There's a, definitely an interesting dichotomy in a lot of lists where um, I guess there's multiple dichotomies. The one being there's lists that are pretty heavy on drawing Zabu or they literally can't do anything like some of the big lists. Um, there's like your list where you're trying to also win games you don't draw. But I also like the more interesting disparity is the list that kind of run like a tech package versus the list that don't aim to interact, right? So you see like the Shang-Chi, Enchantress, maybe even like something like Cosmo in some of these lists where they're heavily trying to interact with their opponent. And there's on the other side where you're just running like, you know, the Darkhawk, the Moon Girl, you're just throwing as much points on the board as possible. Right. There, there are sort of two ways to build it. And one of them is to just build by playing above rate cards whenever you have a Zabu. And the other one is to build to try to 
somehow make your cube rate go up by playing cards like Enchantress and Shang-Chi on the last turn of the game, right? What my worry with that is, is I, I'm not actually sure it does because you are giving up a pretty decent amount of power. You're opening yourself up to the same like arrow counterplay that would you would be open up to by playing like a late point explosion, except you have like your cards are less powerful in a sort of absolute sense. I don't have a problem with those decks. I just think that like the reason they've exited the metagame, it's not because they're bad. It's because they're not always good. But you know what's always good is like 17 points for two energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's always going to be a relevant card to draw. I mean, Shang-Chi might not. Well, speaking of Shang-Chi, there was actually I was playing ladder the other night and some absolute maniac destroyed me with a with a Shang-Chi buffing their doll on the far corner. Just slam dunk. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I won the I won the podcast grudge match. I won the podcast grudge match. I uh it's cool. I got you back because what people don't know is off stream I tried to lamentous bluff you and you thought about it for like a minute and then stayed in and then I immediately left. So I, I just had the context of like the pod where you're just like, I freaking hate lamentous. I never bluff snap, but if I do, it's like maybe I'm lamentous. And I was like, I played against you. And honestly, when 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 the KM best account snapped on lamentous for a second i was like oh wow there's somebody else near infinite that uh has his name as well i thought somebody just stole your name because i was like what the heck is this and i didn't think you played no, much my hand was my hand was like it was like the most unplayable shit ever it was like a dark hawk and a mystique and like some and like noten i didn't even have the rock slides to put cards in your deck to make the dark hawk anything but a four one and yeah. so it's just like, well, either I leave here or I try to leave here with one of his cubes. Hilarious. All right, well, let's get into the news. So on January 17th, Dazzler released at Series 5. Dazzler is a four-cost, four-power card that reads ongoing. If you have four cards at each location, plus six power. Do you have, a, do you have any thoughts on this? I literally haven't seen this card played, by the way, um, since it came out. I haven't really seen any list brewed either that have been circulating Twitter. Obviously, Series 5 very uh it's a sort of a high high bar to get past but do you have any thoughts on this card do you think that it's uh it can potentially make an impact ain't bad honestly like like it it ain't bad it's it's comparable to strong guy right probably <laughs> a little bit in in a vacuum it's actually probably a little bit easier to hit dazzler's uh breakpoint to make sure that she gets her power but in context of like there are a bunch of locations that'll really mess you up when you play Dazzler, it's actually a little bit harder. There are more locations that prevent you from playing cards there or restrict your ability to play cards there than there are that add cards to your hand in a mm. way that can mess up something like Strong Guy. So I think I think even though in a vacuum it's a little bit harder to turn on, it's a little bit easier to turn on Dazzler in in context with the locations that we have, it's a little bit harder to turn on Dazzler. And I think that's fine. Like, you know, she's not like, you know, she's not game breaking. That's good. That's a good point. I, you know, I didn't really think about, uh, I didn't really think about Dazzler in the, in the context of locations. If you're saying like, yeah, I mean, half your games, it's just like not even going to be an option to really activate her or you're going like to have to jump to hoops. It's not half, but it's like, okay. If the space throne ever shows up, she's off. Mm -hmm. If, if, you are playing a deck with a bunch of one drops and you get uh crimson cosmos she's off yeah. right like there's just there's a bunch of and like the new hot location that says that you can only play six cost cards there that's been data mined apparently 
if that yeah. shows up, she's off, right? Like it, it's there are there are like more locations that just turn her off than there are for something like Strong. Yeah, definitely. Well, also we have the festival festival fireworks bundle, which is probably like our most affordable bundle ever. I guess it was sort of a celebratory bundle. The, the credit the credits are reasonable, but you do get the the avatar and um and a pretty cool variant with i mean boosters and gold so i mean this one definitely probably it's good value yeah good value definitely i would pick that one up if you have considered picking anything up from the from the shop so um happy to, happy to see that i don't know if it's going to be a trend moving forward <laughs> but we can hope um biggest news here uh cam is the upcoming series drop and, and this is critical um, we talked about it on last week's pod about how the chests work. Um, they don't work how they said they work. So they actually, you can save your chests and you can basically open them after the series drop and they generate their contacts on open that they've said they're going to change out in the future, but that's how it works now as far as we know. But in terms of the series drop from series five to series four, we have Valkyrie, Super, Super Scroll, Bast, Sherry, Black Panther. And then from series four to series three, we have Luke Cage, Absorbing Man, She-Hulk, titania i mean this is uh this is great km um happy to see these these are you have some very very good cards that are downshifting here particularly series five to series four like shuri is just a fantastic card to have in your arsenal bass kind of unlocks um or at least slots super well into some arch archetypal decks like bass negative things like that black black panther i guess it's a season card but you know, can also be powerful in some of those go tall decks or artem zola not so sure about Super Scroll right now, but you know, is what it is. And then Series Four to Series Three. Super Scroll is actually the one I wanted to shout out oh, yeah? specifically. Go for because it. Super Scroll is a card that is simply not worth purchasing at six thousand tokens, and probably not worth purchasing at three thousand tokens. But opening him on the collection track gives some flavor to Zabu mirrors that otherwise would not have been there. Mm -hmm. Because right now, you can pretty safely play a Zabu mirror and be like, no one I will play against is ever playing Super Scroll. No, who would do such a thing? But frankly, if I just happened to open Super Scroll on the collection track, I probably would try him out in my Zabu deck, and he probably would be pretty damn good in the mirrors. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I think of all these cards, given the context of the format right now, like if nothing changed, if there was no balance patch of all these cards, Super Scroll might end up being the most impactful. Mm. Interesting, because now people like me can open him. And we would never have bought him. But if you open him, you probably would play him. Yeah. I I wonder if the influx of more Shuri's in the format will increase, like, have a secondary effect of increasing the amount of Shang-Chi's being run, which has, like, a tertiary Maybe. effect of kind of warping the decks that are existing in the meta, even if you're not playing Shuri. I think the most... I think the most notable impact from this is Absorbing Man going to Series 3. Because, I mean, that I, I, my gut, this is a gut feel, no real data behind this, but, I mean, wouldn't that just mean that, like, every budget Zabu deck is now an Absorbing Man Spider-Man deck? Mm -hmm. Isn't that just, like, the most annoying possible card to rotate down? <laughs> it is annoying, but I feel like, yeah, so Spider-Man Absorbing Man is probably one of the most in uninteractive and, like, frustrating play lines that happens in Marvel Snap, but because of the cube system... Um, I feel like it's heavily right, it's mitigated. mitigated. Yeah, people never get high amounts of cubes off you when they Spider-Man absorbing man you. Like, if this game was a binary win-loss, I would probably punch some drywall when people played freaking well, Spider-Man. I think, I think there's man. something to be pointed out here, though, right? If all the Zabu decks are snapping when they play Zabu, right? Mm -hmm. Spider-Man absorbing man is a really good way to punish that. Yeah. 
Like if you if your opponent is like, I'm gonna snap this Zabu, and then you also play a Zabu, and then you play Spider Man Absorber Man, you're getting four cubes. Yeah. I mean it ain't nothing. Honestly, my favorite card rotating down here, I think, is She-Hulk. I just think that card is um it's pretty dynamic. Like I've seen it fit in a lot of lists. It I just think it's really, really strong and it gives people a lot of avenues to play. Um I know it's slotted into Barrow and then I've seen people slotting it into like some of the Go Tall Shuri decks or like the Sauron decks, things like that. But I just think it's kind of like a fundamentally powerful card, even in slightly like a vacuum. Um, so I don't know. That's the one I'm, I'm most excited to see rotate down. Like Luke Cage is super niche in my experience. And Titania. Yo, no, hold on. I want to talk about that. Go for it. I want to talk about Luke Cage. So I was talking about this with uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jerry Thompson is mm-hmm. like a, outstanding magic player and one of the things he said he was trying was just like instead of playing scorpion and lizard as his twos in every deck he would just play like luke cage and hazmat okay and i thought about it and i was like you know what when when you draw both of them that is actually the best twos in the game right is it yeah so is it more is it quantitatively more value than it seems like it would be right like it's like it's three points base from the twos right where like scorpion lizard like he he wasn't positive they were actually better mm-hmm. but i had never thought of just like just putting them in a deck just being like yeah i'm gonna run these are my two drops right like in the generically good two drop spot it seems a little like deep to me but mm-hmm. it's definitely like i had never considered this at all yeah i had never i had never once been like you know what i'm gonna do my good generic twos are gonna be these two right and i i had not it is not a thought that I had had before, but when you think about it, like in the context of, you know, doing what they do, that can be like a, I don't know, anywhere like a six to 12 point swing mm-hmm. on the board. Yeah. Like maybe that's just actually a thing that people should be doing more. I, I don't know. I haven't tried it at all, yeah. but it, it, and he's not even sure it's actually better, but still, it's still, it's not something I thought of. Yeah. The critical, like the critical point for me in regards to lizard is just being able to pressure a lane on turn two and sort of win priority early in the game uh, rather than sort of the stat yeah. dump yeah i think like that's that's sort of the slots feeling but scorpion is really interesting to me cam because how do you like what value would you assign to scorpion right because it's obviously not a two two but it's also not like a two six right because it, it's it's and really I think it actually is like a two six you think it's a two six yeah because do you yeah. do you think get... it actually is like a two six yeah, i'm sorry well i would say the question is is like do you assign like the value that it disc you know it negs everything in the hand do you assign that straight to the power or because those cards only have the potential being played out and they can potentially they can also be held back is that value like you know maybe like a two four or two five um because two six is like on the high end right I mean, okay. First of all, there's a lot of decks that just don't play cards right now, mm-hmm. right? Like Silver Surfer plays maybe one card before uh, turn three yep. if they're lucky. Uh, Zabu plays like maybe one card before turn three, so they're usually sitting with like a pretty significant pile of cards in hand, yeah. And that's that's most of why Scorpion is good right now. There's not decks that are really like playing a lot of cards early. There's not decks that are really punishing you for just playing this card that punishes holding cards in your hand, right? And I think it's not just like, you know, they might not play a card, but like what if they don't play a card because it was mm-hmm. Scorpion, right? What if there's a Shuri's Lab on the board and they were like, oh man, I really wanted to put this Rock Slide there, but it got Scorpion. So I'll make a different play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Like they're, 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 it's not just the cards that it hits that they play. It's the alternate and maybe suboptimal lines that it forces them to take. Yeah, super funny because you actually like you. There will be situations where you, as the person playing Scorpion, will not get user feedback on how much of an impact you've had because you don't see what play lines were taken. Uh, at the opportunity cost of like the optimal line because you neg something like you neg the brood down to like one right like that's a big right. you know Iceman is the same thing we're like Iceman like I've had so many Icemans played against me that have just completely derailed my entire game and I'm just like geez and then but my opponent will is never sees that sometimes so it's just a funny right it's like Iceman versus Cork right mm-hmm. you never know when the Cork won you the game mm-hmm. you never actually know when they drew a rock and were one card away from their combo right mm-hmm. you never know. Because it looks like them getting unlucky. But a lot of the time, you do know when your Iceman won, the, won you the game, right? I think, I think there's like a sliding scale of like you actually know when this, when this thing matters, right? And people, I think it's part of why people prefer Iceman to Korg is because they're used to it happening to them, right? So like the Iceman happens to them and they remember the worst Iceman that's ever happened to them, right? Yeah. But no one ever remembers like... Because Korg only works 50% of the time. 50% of the time you play Korg on turn one, they're going to draw the rock, right? It, it, no one remembers when that matters. You know what I mean? No one remembers when, like, oh, I drew a rock instead of a Zabu on turn three, you know? Like, a, a, or I drew a rock instead of a, you know, whatever on turn five when I really needed it. I, I don't know. I think, I think there's, there's some argument for that. That said, Korg's e- efficacy right now is severely mitigated by the amount of America Chavez decks in the meta, because it turns out when you always draw the same card on turn six, it can't be a rock. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Korg, 50% of the time, every time. So let's go into the, the, yep. ben, the bend and snap sections, our listener question section. There, uh, we didn't have a question this week, Cam, so the question actually comes from me uh and it is cam what gets you excited for the future in marvel snap what are you looking forward to is it you know growing your stream and community is it tournaments is it you know potential future card design what gets you the most excited so when you keep the schedule i do it's hard to ever stop and take stock i think Mm -hmm. i've had this is more days off than i've had previously actually i've had like three days off and uh i think that that's three days off this month, I should clarify. So like last 30 days, there have been three days that I didn't stream. And when you have a schedule like that, it's hard to ever stop and take stock and think, what would I want more? Because I find it hard to to, to actually say like, oh, I want more out of this. I'm mm-hmm. so happy with what I have. <laughs> like I am uh, extremely grateful that people want to watch me play card games. And as far as what makes me excited for the future is, is the ability to keep doing that, the ability to grow my community, which I, uh, I have been really trying to like shape and curate into a place where, you know, people help each other. I, I even finally got around to like making a channel for people to be angry so that they wouldn't be angry around like the other people who just wanted to learn. You know what I mean? Like I, I have to. I get I I want people to reach their goals. That's what makes me excited. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with your schedule and sort of, you know, the recent success sounds like you're very much, you know, you're present in the moment. Um and I can only imagine what that experience has been like growing a community and, you know, having impact on people, whether, you know, it's something like just making someone's day or 
you know, something you've said has kind of changed somebody's life for the better, just kind of ongoing. I think it's, I think it's incredible and I'm excited to see how you grow, um, over the, over the future. Anyway. I mean, I'm honestly a little bit uncomfortable with that idea. The idea that like anything I could do could change someone's life. That's, that's horrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> like a base level, but, uh, I have to get used to, cause I doubt it's actually like life changing, you know? But I bet it, I bet, you know, maybe it'll help them reach infinite. <laughs> I don't think that's very life changing, but hey. Uh, you'd be surprised. I think that your stream is uh, relatively angled towards like fitness and, you know, you're pretty, you're, you I definitely did get someone to go back to the gym. Yeah. So that's how that has happened. Small anecdote, and I know this is breaking the the fourth wall here, but um, on a different podcast, like the Arsenal Pass podcast, we did a Fab Fitness Challenge, and there was a guy, uh, T. Tebow, um, and he. So we did like a month of fitness and you know healthy eating and stuff like that, and just like the whole community kind of rallied behind it. And T went down like a hundred plus pounds, and it's just like still go. It's it's freaking incredible. The dude is like absolutely right, but like I just want to like I, I guess I guess this is like the fundamental disconnect here, right? Like that's awesome. But they did that. Hundred percent. They want to give credit to you. It's like, like they, you did that, dude. Like you, you did that thing, and that's all you needed. Hundred percent. Like I don't know. That was sort of the. That was like the the ending thing that we said was like, if we even contributed, like all of us, like uh, you know, the people doing the pod, the rest of the community, if we contributed to even point zero zero one percent of the motivation to do that decision, it makes yeah. everything worth it. But 100%, it's like an individual's journey. And it's just been awesome because I've met him multiple times in person. And it's just been, it's just been incredible. Like, it, it was honestly like a life-changing, life-changing thing for me. Yeah, but, that's, like, that's like incredibly dope. Yeah, it was, it was one of the best things that kind of happened in my life, to be honest. All right, well, that was our, listen, uh, our listener question uh, for the week. It did come from me. But if you want to get your question read out on the pod during the bend and snap section shoot a question in the comments um on youtube below you can also email us or tweet at us whatever you want to do maybe post in km's discord talk talk about how i got highlighted um highlighted on that recent clip but um yeah oh while while i've uh while i've got you here one thing i learned is that all the morning zoo radio shows it was just like a producer making up every question yeah doesn't surprise me (laughs) so so what i'm saying is we should do that yeah uh like we should we should come up with like increasingly outlandish questions for us to answer and then never admit that it's actually just us doing it yeah this this question comes from bob smith uh cam why are you so (laughs) handsome oh thank you bob (laughs) yes no like exactly that like we need to do we need to do like um okay this question comes from jack pseudonym (laughs) (laughs) how did you get so jacked it's like well it was pretty hard (laughs) All right, Brendan. What's it like changing people's lives? Oh my god! All right, let's <laughs> Tell me it. Like. let's get into this main topic before we derail. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about last minute info. We're just going to start off with the list. I know this is kind of hot in everybody's mind. You're closing on the last week. Things get a little stressful. You're like, I want to be this rank, or I don't. Wanna, I don't want to be this rank. Um, I mean, my quick little tip tidbit before you head into any of this, and I know that if you're really striving for infinite, this this advice means nothing. But it's just like don't put too much on your rank, right? Your rank is not a reflection of like you, your, your ability to play the game, et cetera, et cetera, especially Marvel snap. Um, so I don't know. I just know some people really stress. Yeah, over like a certain but if rank. you're, st- if you're stressing for infinite, you hear someone say that you're like, fuck <laughs> you. That's yeah. bullshit. Yeah, you're like, that's nah. bullshit. My rank does represent me and I deserve this. 
Well, there's also that. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to be a good player, listen to this. We're going to jump into the list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, first off, we've got T T Rocks. This is a um, this is a list from KM here. This is actually I picked this one up. So, this is your Zabu list. I don't know if you made any changes since then, but I picked this up. No, and, it's the exact same. Yeah, role. I had a lot of success with this. So, we see the Amer- American Chavez on the top end. Um, we see you know Korg is a one drop, and also Mystique in this list is pretty interesting. Agent Colson. Not a card that I had been seeing run before that, but obviously couples with the Devil Dino. Uh, no, 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 no. Colson, I saw being run in it. Colson Mystique Zabu Darkhawk, or Colson Mystique Zabu Darkhawk Dino was something I think Pilk Enjoyer was running. Mm-hmm. But what they were doing was much heavier on Zabu stuff than it was on Dino stuff. So, like, they had like Agent 13, not Agent 13, they had like Black Widow and Beast and Sarah in there. And what I ended up doing was basically saying, like, all right, what if we, what if we, like, it, uh, it was that deck, and it was uh, the, the, like, the Dara Dino deck, which ended up turning into, like, the stock budget Zabu list, mm-hmm. and then it was the other Dino decks that I played, because, like, I think last season I was like, what happens if we just replace Moon Girl with Colson? So I played a couple Dino decks like that, and that's what sort of uh, ended up with this. It was like those three decks kind of all went in a blender. And uh, uh, this is what came out. And every card sort of like follows logically from the next one, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. because you have like, okay, we're playing Zabu, right? Which means we're playing Darkhawk, which means we're playing Rockslide, right? And then it's like, okay, we're playing Devil Dinosaur and Zabu, which means we're playing Moon Girl, which means we're playing White Queen, right? And then you have Mystique because there's overlap between uh, Darkhawk and Devil Dinosaur. I have a big thing where it's like I hate playing Mystique if there's only one really good Mystique target. But here there's two. So like you can go something like Moon Girl into Devil Dinosaur, play like two Mystiques on the Devil Dinosaur. Pretty, pretty powerful thing to be doing. And then Quinjet came in and I think it ended up being like like that is actually the most underrated card in this in this deck because yep. it gives you a whole nother avenue to just cheat stats, right? God forbid you ever get Quinjet Zabu, but like even just Quinjet and Moon Girl will let you cheat some stats on like Darkhawk and Mystique and that is usually good enough, right? And the Colson is in there Almost entirely as a like guy who fills up dinos. He has upsides and downsides. He's definitely the the twelfth card in the deck mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I have seen. Uh, I believe Owen Collier Ridge, the uh, originator of Ongoing Destroyer back in the beta, actually was uh, playing this with Spider Man in for Agent Coulson because he didn't own agent colson and even with spider-man he said like i he didn't feel like he had a deck advantage like this since the beta so i I think generally the shell does just a ton of things that are very powerful to be doing uh and i uh yeah pretty much highly recommend it i played it yesterday on stream i went up like 15 ranks in like uh like three and a half hours i don't know yeah, I uh, it it a lot of that was farming bots. I think I pushed myself back into bot elo. I might need to do a tanking stream soon where I uh, where I where I like lose to some just go 50 50 for a while until I stop seeing them. But like this, this just sort of fundamentally. Fundamentally does things that are powerful. It's not unbeatable. It's just playing a ton of cards that you can cheat into being above rate. That's yeah. pretty much it. 
And just to call back to what we talked to at sort of the top of the pod, this deck, you know, can this deck win without drawing Zabu? Does this deck function without drawing Zabu? Not against another Zabu deck, but against basically anything else, I will stay in the game. Yeah. Um, like if, if another good player with a Zabu deck snaps me after playing Zabu, I'll probably leave. But otherwise, you're pretty live against anything else. Yeah. And I mean, so if we talked about, you talked about key cards here, but key lines, <laughs> it's so funny talking about key lines with the Zabu deck, draw Zabu, play Zabu. Um, no, but the Quinjet is, is really critical when you, when you are, have Quinjet on the board and you're able to play more Moon Goral and copy stuff. So you're, you're discounting one from Quinjet. And then if you're very lucky, you know, also not very lucky, but lucky discounting from the Zabu, like you can drop a lot of stats on. Yeah. There's six. like a specific line I want to call out here, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the one where you go like, okay, you copy a Darkhawk and a Mystique with a Quinjet on the board, and ideally like a Rock Slide as well. So you get to have these like weird situations where you can go, okay, you go, you go Darkhawk Mystique on five, right, with the two cost Mystique and the three cost Darkhawk off the Quinjet, right, and then you play your your uh, your normal cost Mystique, which costs three. And then a moon girl rock slide, which costs three on turn six, right? Like there's stuff like that that lets you get a lot of stats on the board. That's three dark hawks and a rock slide without playing Zabu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that. That's one of the like like that's like uh, it's a high end example, but it's a thing I've done, and you have to pay attention to it. There's also stuff like you know the the aforementioned just devil dinosaur into like mystique mystique sentinel. Or whatever with a Quinjet on the board because Sentinel will cost one there. Yeah, triple Devil Dino. I mean, I I was doing that pretty quickly after picking up the deck. That's what you find out. It's like the Mystique when you first start playing the deck, you're like, oh, it's kind of clunky. Like I'm not exactly like every time I'm on three, I want to play Zabu. It's like no, the Mystique is like you are cloning Dark Hawk, you're cloning Devil Dinosaurs, and it's so freaking powerful. Um, yeah. What talk to me about the America, the America Chavez because you've been yeah. So drawing Zabu is good. Definitely. So that's definitely the reason it's in. I know that, but you've been kind of no, on both sides. Of the, I know you've been on both sides of the aisle though, where it's like, it's worth it. It's not worth it. Are you firmly in the stance of like, it's worth it to have that as a six drop because it does have a worthwhile. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, I know exactly where you're going with this, but I have an answer. However worthwhile America Chavez is depends entirely on how strong the thing you want to draw is. Mm-hmm. That's it. Zabu is strong enough that it's worthwhile. Yeah. So yep. ex- extrapolating from that, would you put America Chavez in all of your Zabu decks? I believe that I have. There are some exceptions that are like worth considering. Like, for example, in the in the deck with all the th- with all like the Dracula Ghost Rider thing, I think you can run her, but like if you're not running Dracula and you're just running Ghost Rider, maybe you don't run her because you don't want to run too many expensive cards. It's a little bit of I, I don't think I, I don't think necessarily she goes in all of them. I think she goes in like if you don't have a if you have like you need a really compelling reason not to run her in a Zabu deck, basically. Mm-hmm. You need a, a very compelling reason. Like I had someone who I really respect tell me they weren't running her and I still want to go back and try to put her in that in the deck that they were playing. Right. Like I even with a very compelling reason, I think I'm still likely to try to fit her in. Yeah. What um what do you think are some potential beginner mistakes? Like if somebody was a, to pick up this list and just to jam it for the first time, is there any sort of pitfalls or do you think it's pretty straightforward? 
snap retreat stuff. Like, I think you're the most of the mistakes you're going to make because this deck is just sort of a baseline, very powerful deck with not a lot of ways to interact with your opponent, right? Mm. So the mistakes you're going to make are not identifying when your opponent has ways to interact with you. Whether that be something like Galactus, that could be something like Spider-Man Absorbing Man, like you need to identify that stuff and leave those games if you have to, because they can interact with you better than you can interact with them. You're not even really interacting with them in a meaningful way 95% of the time. The most meaningful interaction you have is like, uh, I'm going to try to play a white queen and take their null, right? <laughs> like that's, that's the meaningful interaction you have with a Galactus deck, yeah? And it it's 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 not a a deck that can afford to lose a ton of cubes to things like that. Now, other beginner mistakes. This one's come up for me a lot. Don't play White Queen when they've played Wave. If they're a Galactus deck, you do that after, because uh, Wave sets everything to the same cost, so you won't guaranteed get the most expensive card in their hand. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember when you need to leave. Remember, like. Try to figure out what your opponent is doing. And if you think a bunch of points beats what your opponent is doing, play on. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the downsides and what it's weak to. Because like you said, we're not interacting with the opponent. Probably the thing it's most weak to is weak to is other Zabu decks or Zabu before you. But, you know, you not having interaction and your opponent potentially having that, are you ever running into th- you know situations of Enchantress or Shang-Chi? Because Enchantress does hit a lot of the stack. I think that Enchantress is pretty rare in the meta, from you my kinda experience. Need, you kind of need both, is the thing. Yeah. Like, if this deck is doing the thing that it wants to do, the best target for Enchantress is actually Zabu, which is rare, right? Because like normally you're like, oh, we should save the Enchantress for like a Darkhawk, a Dino, whatever, right? But this deck puts like extremely large ongoing effects in all three lanes pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. So you actually just want to hit the Sabu with it. You like you don't want to sit around waiting for like Rogue a Dark Hawk or something. Like you just hit the Zabu and prevent me from doing it in the first place. Because the Mystique stuff is so dirty. And also there's like Quinjet and Zabu that can protect you from a rogue. So it really is just Enchantress. And that will win you the game probably, but man, it's yeah. risky. With the with the amount of wide the amount the what the width that this deck can have, it goes wide and tall. Like we talked about the line with with no like we didn't even have Zabu and this deck can play like three Dark Hawks and a a a rock slide, right? Like that's really hard to beat with just an enchantress yeah what's funny about the enchantress on the on the zabu too is like you can potentially just go with like a very very classic four five six which is moon girl dino dino and it's just like that's so powerful and your opponent had the tech card and it's just like you're still just double dinoing them it's like geez. yeah i mean you're still pro- you're gonna lose to an enchantress if you're doing that all right because they're not just playing enchantress they're playing other cards too right <laughs> but like if they're if they're playing if they're not zabuing or sarahing an enchantress out, I, I think you're usually in a pretty good spot because that's an expensive card oh, if yeah. they're not cheating it. All right, well, let's go on to our second list here, which is going to be the generic surfer. So just a Sarah surfer list. Um, I'm a huge fan of this list. I, I definitely want to ask about some of these cards because we we talked about Sarah a lot on this or Sarah surfer specifically a lot on this pod. And we've talked about sort of the interchangeability of the three drops. Um, but why don't you just go ahead and run me through some of these in particular, right? I know that some Sarah decks kind of are heavy on the, just like mostly three drops. I know you run Iceman, Scorpion and lizard. Uh, so three, uh, three, 
you know, one and two drops there. But you also have Cosmo and Rogue here. Um, so just talk me through it. You just have to play this deck smart. That's pretty much it. Cosmo is so powerful and is so bad for you if they're also <laughs> playing Cosmo. Like, it's one of those cards that exists not to be played early. You really don't want to be curving out a Cosmo early. What you like, there are a couple of very slick lines you can do. Like, for example, if you take priority on turn five against other Silver Surfer decks, you can go like Silver Surfer into Cosmo in the lane where they Silver Surfer and the game just ends, right? Like, and that can often happen because of the way locations work out. There can only be a couple places that could actually play a Silver Surfer some of the time. And if you if you nail them with the Cosmo, you will win the game. There's also, you know, Cosmo shuts down things like Wong. Cosmo shuts down so many of these, like, there are like a lot of, I would say, like off meta decks that are like kind of like cheesy on reveal mm -hmm. combos. And Cosmo just takes all of them to the cleaners. Definitely. Uh, Rogue is specifically a concession to Darkhawk. Uh, it, it's it's that's just what it is, right? It, you are a good enough deck that if you Rogue a Darkhawk, that can be game winning. They lose the points, you get the points like that. That's that's a ridiculous thing to do. Mm. Um. And as far as the one, two, and the three, or the, the one and the two twos, the logic here is one of the good ways to lose games with this deck is to not play a card before turn two or before turn three. This gives you about a 60 something percent chance to play a card before then. And uh, you will be able to, you will be able to, uh, if you added another two drop, it would go up to like 80 percent ish, a little, a little higher, I believe. And it's just a question of like, you know, how many games you're willing to play without playing a card before turn three. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, normally I would actually go for another two here. But because the power level of the format is higher now, you have to play for a little bit more of a high roll. Right. Like you're not going to you're not going to beat Zabu if you're playing armor. You know, you're, you're probably not going to be able to compete with that. Mm hmm. Yeah. What do you so think? You uh, end up building it for this. So I know that a lot of Sarah Surfer players are huge fans of the uh, the Storm Juggernaut line. Uh, do you think that that is a reasonable swap out, or do you just think like? Because the thing about Storm, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's okay. fine, right? It can win you a lane, but often it's like it's you're just like, ah, do I really want to be casting like my Juggernaut and Storm on a single lane on turn four? It's like kind of right. And like, what happens if you don't draw them like that, right? You go like Juggernaut and another, you go like Storm and another card there, and then suddenly your Juggernaut can lose you that lane that you won. And it's like, oh, well, I didn't draw these in the exact correct order, and suddenly they're really conflicting with each other. Like, people think they always work together. They only always work together because your opponent's only playing them when they work. Mm -hmm. Like, I think. It's a there's a decent argument that Juggernaut's just a better card to run on its own, like or at least that like the thing that bothers me about Storm, like I love that she gives you location control. I don't love that she puts both of your turn three and four plays in the same spot. Yep. And then you play a Sarah on five, and then you have to figure out how you can win a whole ass other lane with just your turn six play. How are you going to do that? Like you, that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. It makes the game a lot easier to read for your opponent. Yeah. No, I, I I totally agree with you. Like Juggernaut, like I actually like Juggernaut in a vacuum. I think like I like it on turn six uh, often because I think it, you know it can win lanes where you're already ahead. But the storm in particular, it's like you just have to be like it feels like you have to have storm on the right 
the right situation or the card just like kind of sucks um but anyway let's talk about some uh beginner mistakes i i want to ask you in particular about maximus do you find yourself uh ever or do you find or often playing maximus before turn six and drawing your opponent you are legally not allowed to do that anymore yeah like it used to be okay but now you're gonna just like like if you play a maximus on turn three and your opponent doesn't play zabu congratulations they're gonna play it on turn four now if you play a Maximus against your opposing Silver Surfer opponent, congratulations, you now have to play against the Nut Draw. Like, this is a card, I cannot think of a card that is, like, still good that has swung in value this much over the course of a season. Like, it's literally just, like, even if they did play Zabu, suddenly you're making it so that they have every card in their entire deck and they can dump them all on your head and they can punish you for drawing cards people didn't used to be able to do that right all these decks were built around playing one card a turn so maximus was it was fine you could play the maximus they'd have like a better four drop and a better five drop some of the time but like okay you can deal with that you know what the range is now instead of a better four drop and a better five drop it's like three more dudes that are beating your face in yeah I 100% agree with you. 100%. Um, I remember, like, yeah, I, I mean, I'd seen lists where the they had tried to have, like, a high-value three-drop, um, you know, like a generic three-drop, and they would have the Maximus in a, in a deck that's not playing Maximus on turn six, and I would I would often swap that out for Polaris just because I feel like at this at this state of the game, like, playing Maximus before turn six is just like, yeah, God, it's just like I'm just giving my part of the way. It's awful. It's like, yeah. It's awful. It's so bad. Um, yeah, so for anybody looking at this list and... I don't know. I don't know how common this question is, but I, I, I see it a lot in chats. And so I was like, why Mr. Fantastic? It's because it's a three, six, like that's a good amount of yep, stats. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Fantastic is a three, six. He lets you win closed off lanes. He's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to point out like, like if your choice is between playing Maximus and playing no cards, Play Maximus, you're yeah. probably <laughs> playing him anyway. I don't want people to come away from this. thing. you never play him there, but like you really, you are really sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I do want to talk about in regards to this deck, and we've mentioned on a previous pod, is just Brood and the function that it has in the deck. Um, so I think a big trap, like a big, big skinner, beginner mistake of Silver uh, Sarah Surfer decks is for people to play Brood out, but then to invest more into the Brood lane. So they play Brood out, and then maybe they put their Maximus in the Brood lane, or they put their Polaris, or just something impactful. Uh, the Brood lane That's why is... why Wolfsbane kind of sucked in these decks. Exactly. She'd always go in the Brood lane. It's like, okay, congratulations, you won that lane a little more. Yeah. Uh, Jen, you don't always win the lane you put your Brood in, but that is like your your, your kind of gimme lane. You're like free lane. Like, Brood is so many stats, uh, so many stats with Silver Surfer. Um, you don't want to be over investing into it because you're gonna have a hard time winning the other the other two so something to keep in mind with brood <laughs> funny thing about brood too is we were talking about scorpion earlier in the pod is like dude scorpion just feels so good against silver surfer mm-hmm. and brood in particular because it always hits the brood you know unless they hide it on top of their deck and draw it um how skillful how skillful so downsides and what is it weak to <sighs> Anything, I mean, we just talked about, I guess, kind of Scorpion, which is in every single deck. What else? Do you find that this deck is particularly good against the Zabu decks? Do you have a reason to no, pick it not up? not really. I mean, it, it's a deck that can compete on power level, which is, like, I don't think it does anything particularly good into the Zabu decks, but it can compete. Mm. You, you get to play a real game of Marvel Snap where your decisions matter, and 
your locations matter and you 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 can play the same game like you you do some pretty unfair stuff and you can you know try and rogue them you can mess them mess them up with cosmo sometimes like hey no rock slide for you things like that right Mm -hmm. you do kind of need it all to go right yeah you do kind of need it all to go right if you want that to happen though i think that this deck is you know maybe it's slightly like it's a bit below the the previous list, the Zabu list, but I think that it's a much different, it, it feels different to play. So if you're looking, you know, if you're climbing and you're looking to kind of, you know, get off tilt or just kind of do something different, I think this this is honestly what I usually default to is just go play a Sarasurfer deck for a bit. Yeah, it's uh, a default. It's a default deck, right? Like, it's just like, oh, this is a deck that will do good things and I know how to play it and it's a safe pick into an open meta. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, on to on to our third and sort of last pool three list. We're gonna hit two pool two lists after this. But this is uh, Natty Light, which I, I love the naming for this cam, um, which is basically a yeah, light zero shirt. So we have um, it's kind of your big stuff deck with with Taskmaster, but really capitalizing on Shuri. Um, Shuri's like definitely your most powerful four drop here, doubling the power, and then you're copying with Taskmaster. Um, you know, your zero has multiple targets here. You know, you can zero t- t- Titania, you can zero on turn one, and then play Lizard on turn two. Um, and why don't you talk me through some of the cards? Like, what are your thoughts on Atuma in particular? Because there is obviously a choice between Atuma and something like Typhoid Mary. Do you find Atuma to be better? And I think that it's supported by Armor. Atuma's a little list. better, yeah. Yeah, it's supported because... by Armor too. Right, it's because of the armor, right? The support for Typhoid Mary is Enchantress. She costs four, armor costs two. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it, right? And uh, there is like some more overlap with Enchantress, but generally you want to play... When you want to play Typhoid Mary and Enchantress in this deck is when, A, you're playing Zabu and you can get away with it and play them for two. Uh, or B, when a four-cost Enchantress is a good play in the format. And right now, a four-cost Enchantress is not a good play in the format. You feel free to put a Zabu and a Typhoid Mary and a, an Enchantress in here, though. <laughs> that mm-hmm. probably works. I find it hard to believe that Zabu makes a deck worse. Yeah. Um, talk to me about Doc Ock specifically. Is that... Uh, he rules. He's fun? <laughs> no, no, like, he's good. If you Shuri a Doc Ock, you're probably winning that lane. Yeah. And it, they're probably running out of cards. And you probably immediately win the game against Solar Surfer. By the time you Shuri and Doc Ock, you likely have a... You should have a read on almost exactly what your opponent is playing. So I think you can reasonably predict yep. whether you're going to be winning by a 20 power in that lane. And you know, yep. you can play playing Doc Ock into a lane where they've already invested, you know, two one or two drops or something right like there's that. also there's also like there's a lot of there's like you know you run titania right so you, there's like your turns end up being like shuri into doc Ock into five drop plus titania a lot of the time and mm-hmm. titania goes doc Ock lanes for free oh yeah yeah Tita- titania is great um but yeah i mean i think one of the most powerful one of the most powerful things you're doing is yeah you're curving shuri into one of these top end drops i mean shuri into red school is 30 power and then on turn six you're playing taskmaster which is a 30 power copy yeah, 30 is just like a big number huge number like, like you you don't think a 30 power red school is gonna win because you're like uh well it'll buff them maybe they can compete no it's usually gonna win a lane yeah like yeah it's a 30 is a big number it's a bit less meta relevant right now but if we ever come back to that uh to this 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 situation or this just happens at your rank if you're playing against a lot of leader this deck is very good against leader like taskmaster is so good against leader um anyway this deck is also this deck 
I there's a deck this deck takes to the cleaners, mm. and it's the smaller Shuri deck with the deck that's doing like Shuri Vision and Shuri Arrow. Mm. This deck takes it to the cleaners. That deck never beats thirty power because like what happens is like you do this like Shuri Vision thing and you get like a fourteen power Vision. They play like a Red Skull and you're like, oh, I lose. Yeah, <laughs> you have, you just absolutely lose unless you can like priority arrow them somehow, right? Yeah, so I have some. I have a specific question, <clears throat> uh, really about your your usage of zero. Um, do you hmm. so like let's say you have zero and hand turn one, and you have the lizard as well. How often are you playing zero into lizard to turn off the ongoing effect of lizard for tempo, or keeping the zero for potential? You know, zero on turn three with a tuma, and there, or zero on turn six, right? You zero and then red skull on turn six, turn off red it's skull. It's tough. Yeah, it's it tough. tough. Eh? Like. The thing about this deck that I think people don't get is Shuri is also a zero for Red Skull, right? Shuri makes him so big that his downside is mitigated probably like 85% of the time, right? Mm -hmm. Shuri is also a zero and you don't like it's hard to find a place where you want to be playing zero all the time because like this is actually like the worst zero deck for zero, right? I, I am tempted to say that if you have zero lizard and like Shuri in hand, you should probably just zero the lizard. Mm. <laughs> like, like it, the, well, otherwise, you're just not playing the card a lot of the time. Because like if you draw Shuri, you're going to be Shurying something. And if you're not Shurying something, you're probably losing the game, right? You can win small ball games with zero. But if you have like a Shuri in hand, you're probably not playing that zero a lot of the time. There's nowhere for him to fit. If you play him on turn three, you turn off your Shuri. If you play him on turn five, you're Shurying him. So what are we actually doing with it? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that the the hardest, the hardest, like, some of the hardest decisions are like, okay, I've drawn zero, uh, you know, maybe I have Lizard, but then I don't have Shuri, right? So I don't know what my top end is going to look like yet. It's like, I might really want that zero for like an Atuma or for just like a turn six Red Skull. Yeah. But it's just contextual. Like, and I think that, you know, it, it's not like a, you're not going to be, you don't lose massive edge by playing the zero on the lizard, but you will sort of, as you play this deck, figure out, it's like, oh, maybe I should be saving it for turn six here and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's very there are some situations where you do, and there are some situations where you don't. And it's the kind of deck that needs a little experience with it. But definitely this is the worst zero deck for the card zero that I've ever played. Mm. What are what do you think are the, the the downsides of this deck? What is it weak to? Arrow on your Atuma. <laughs> like if you go like Shuri into Atuma and they arrow you and you haven't turned the Atuma off or put an armor there, oh man, you're getting you're getting crushed that game. Yeah. Uh other things it's weak to, just decks that have like obviously if your opponent plays Zabu into a couple Dark Hawks, they can beat that 30 power red skull. And you really only can test two lanes a lot of the time in this deck. And if one, if you lose one of those lanes, you're in big trouble. Yeah, I think that this deck uh, loses, like it, it loses to the Zop. It loses to like a good Zabu draw, but like it just straight, like it straight up loses. Like no hope. There's no counterplay. Like there's really not much you can do. But the good part about it is that when a Zabu player is doing that to you, you can recognize it before you're in for four cubes or you're in for eight cubes. Um, yeah. So that that's like the silver lining there. Also, you have to like really do math on Silver Surfer, right? You might not think that like a Shang, like like a uh, like a thirty power Red Skull beats the stuff they're doing, but usually, like even on a, I've I've beaten Brood Lanes with a thirty power Red Skull that wasn't even off 
Like it's not even a, a 30 power red skull that has no ability. It has the ability, but you just have to count. Mm. Yeah. And that's definitely a downside is math. Uh, math is for the opponent, but unfortunately with this deck, you have to do No, so. math is for you here. Cause like you have to like do math. Okay. So these broods are two power each and if the red skull makes them four power each. And then uh, they go to seven if they silver surfer and then they can play like a Maximus here. That's an additional 10 there. And can, what, what do I have to invest in that lane to not lose it to that power? So there's a lot of that. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, that's sort of our third list for pool pool three. Um, or yeah, pool three plus, right? There's a lot of pool five cards kind of lurking around there. Uh, let's go to two pool two decks. I'm not gonna hit pool one because people tend to get out of pool one pretty uh pretty quickly. So the first pool two deck, pool two deck is kind of a classic, right? This is a dino deck, but it's dino with destroy because you are, you know, if you're in pool two, you might be lacking some of the cards that for like a pure dino deck, and I think the destroy just adds uh, a bit more edge to that. So you have like the Bucky Barnes deathlock um you have some you know and carnage nova for that well, i do damage. want to clarify if you're in pool two but you happen to have purchased the battle pass throw this out the window go play zabu go play zabu yeah i mean that that's honestly that's a really really good point i guess uh, yeah when i was pulling up these lists i just assumed that people were uh free to play but if you are purchasing the battle pass i mean this kind of goes for maybe even last battle pass as well with silver surfers like silver Surfer. i don't know if you, i don't know if there's a pool two surfer deck that makes sense to me but if you if you are i have heard tell by the way of someone who bought the sarah bundle in pool uh-huh. one and the surfer bundle and is just playing sarah surfer in pool one that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh man. Just beating anyway, up on uh, people. Yes. Anyway, uh there there if, if like you see there's there's three four drops in this deck already. We're we're already almost there. <laughs> like, yeah. So, let's just quickly let's just quickly talk about some key lines cuz it's pretty straightforward, right? Like, you know, Killmonger, Shang-Chi, those are you know, those are good cards, but they're also just kind of tech cards and you're going to be running into targets without pool two. You could be running into a lot of devil dino decks probably. Um, but, you know, Bucky Barnes getting destroyed by your Carnage or Deathlock. Great. Um, and then, you know, Moon Girl into double devil dino or just playing devil dino out on five. You know, White Queen is just an amazing four drop that fits perfectly well into this. It's all pretty straightforward. And I think that, you know, for pool two, this is it gets it gets my vote for like the best deck and easiest to climb with. Now, Let's go to a spicy deck. So this deck, KM, it looks like a pile of hot diggity garbage, but this is actually... I agree. I was going to ask, okay, that was basically <laughs> my question. This is the deck that I, when I was pulled to, so week one of the game coming out or something like that, I'd never played Marvel Snap. I was, or I think it was like you know, a couple weeks in the first season or something. I played this, I was playing this Devil Dino Destroy deck. I, I was playing that deck um, up to like the 70s or something. I played this deck and I pretty much didn't lose the game. I don't know if it was because I was facing an unusual amount of bots and bots are just terrible against on reveal or what, but I think just on reveal in general is better than people give it credit for in pool two. I don't really stand behind. I'm not going to stand behind this list. It's like, this is the best list, but it's just full disclosure. I hit infinite with extreme ease when I was in pool two with this. Here's, uh, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Isn't this a pool one list? Is it just pool one? I think one of Iceman or Korg is pool two, mm-hmm. and the rest is pool one. Yeah, I think that they're all like the on reveal cards really come from mostly pool one. But I was playing this yeah. in, in pool two um, for sure. I think I think it's Korg who is, but I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. One of yeah. Iceman or Korg is pool two, and I'm always surprised to learn that. 
Yeah. But I know if people in pool two, they've sort of heard about the devil dino list like a million times. It's like, if you're just looking for something else to play, give it a shot. I haven't revisited this list since I was in pool two, but I just went through my Twitter and I was like, okay, this is what I climbed. If I was looking at it, I was like, this looks like this looks bad, but I know it functioned well for me. Like all the one drops are just hilarious. <laughs> like, I mean, they're just pumping the Angela lane, which has obviously received a bit of a, uh, a nerf since then. It's actually, yeah, you can zero. see, you can see from the screenshot. This is a little out of date. Right? <laughs> Look at that Angela. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that concludes our, our list for this week. We're just going to, you know, we're kind of tied on time. So we're going to hit some, just some concepts real quick, like real, real quick. So first is snapping. Um, just avoid a keepers unless absolutely necessary. A keepers are those situations where either you or your opponent is making a grave, grave mistake. And if you find yourself being the one on the side of that mistake, I would say just be really, really careful. That's that that'll de that derails your your sort of climb really quickly. Is those those a keepers? That's true. Oh, you don't think so? What I'm going to tell you is to kill the part of you that thinks they need to do this. Um, play play well. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this sounds stupid and reductive, but don't be too scared to make correct plays. Don't be too scared to make a correct play. Like, I get it. I get like this, too. But what you're describing is tilt. Letting your emotions affect your play is tilt. And I I don't think you should be tilting. I think you should be doing your best to ignore I'm rank 99.9 and I only need one cube. Just play tight. Yeah. Don't, I, don't, don't like this is tilt. Like I, you don't think of it as tilt cause you're not like getting upset or whatever, but I'm avoiding an eight cuber because I'm scared that I'll lose eight cubes. These, these eight cubes matter more to me than the previous 108 cubes that I've got. No, they don't. And they can't. I wonder if I wonder if I've uh, thinking just thinking about my experience like whether if I tilt when I start tilting or when I'm on a loss streak whether if I'm you know tilting out of being in eight cubers or I'm tilting into them because I'm getting tilted so I'm like I've I've got to get these cubes like it's it's a whole there's a whole mental game to this but right uh, but like the point is both of them are tilt yeah I, I like, think you're like, right. like it, it's not it's not it's not tilt isn't just I'm playing aggressively tilt is I'm playing too passively because I'm afraid like the this breakpoint matters to me and I don't want to risk getting further away from the breakpoint because then I'll have to get all the way back to the breakpoint <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that's you're right that's definitely a fallacy but um I you're you're correct I mean playing you know just playing tight and playing uh playing your best game you know if you're if you're a player that I guess is destined for the rank you will just reach it by raw numbers uh right like like if you want to talk about if you want to talk about strategies to manage tilt that's a totally different thing right like if you want to say like avoid eight cubers because you'll lose your freaking mind if you lose one sure like it's not the correct (laughs) thing to do but it might be on aggregate a little bit better for you you know Mm -hmm. yeah so one other thing i had in here was I, i i don't know when if i'm ranking up through the course of a season um, rather than just trying to rush it out on the first couple of days, I'd say implement a stop loss on your play session. Sounds ridiculous, but yeah, I tend to find when I'm I start losing a lot of ranks, I just kind of keep losing them. Just might not be in the headspace for it. See, I see a lot of people being like, "I lost. I went from eighty to sixty today." It's just like, <laughs> how do you even play that much? Like, it's a sunk cost fallacy, Cam. You're just like you're in. You're just like I've got oh, to get back to eighty. I've got to get back to eighty. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had that creep into my head where it's it's hard to put it down because you're like, wow, I started at 88 and I'm at 86, 
But my no, goal that, today, my feel, goal today was like 89. 80, 80 to 60 <laughs> is like, I don't even know how you play that much. Yeah. I've never climbed 20 ranks in a session. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. And then, yeah, I had on here, don't bluff snap. I think that, yeah, bluff snapping is <laughs> probably not the way to go for, for climbing. It's and probably not the best thing on ladder anyway, because people just tend to stay in. Um, <laughs> KM definitely disagrees on Lamentus. Just fucking bluff snap him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will totally bluff slap a Lamentus. But now, like, the more I say stuff like that, the less equity there is in doing it. Yeah, the less people leave. Um, yeah, I had on here taking it day by day, which we talked about. Uh, you can take off hot sus feature locations or you can take advantage of them. I think this is actually, it's, it's kind of a big cheat code. Like, if you can get the the leading information, like whether you're going to check out a stream and you found a streamer who's doing really well on a location or you've read an article and yeah, I, I tend to go to streamers, not, not the articles. And if someone's like crushing location, you get ahead of like 90% of the play race and you can totally exploit that location. Great. But <laughs> it goes both ways. Cause that will also happen to you. If you're maybe, you know, you're just like, Oh, I'll just play my normal decks on lament this. And you start getting leached and leaded. You're like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. So that was me for most of Lamentus. There's a reason I hated it more than anything else. Yeah. So be, be careful of those. Cause they definitely throw a wrench in the, in the mix. And then the last one, which uh, I think this is the core level up for our entire podcast. If you were to sum up everything we've ever talked about, which is, you just got to under you got to spend time with the game, understand the meta and just predict what your opponents are doing. Like you need to I don't know what you called this, you had a term for this when we were talking about sort of top five new player level ups and it kind of is like the core concept, right? Being able to predict what your opponent is playing, being able to kind of like assume what deck they're on, play around it and like that obviously leads into knowing when to snap, knowing when to stay in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm going to I got Sorry, but the only thing that entered my head there, I don't know if you're familiar with the reference I'm about to make. There's like this this incredibly weird Spike Lee Bitcoin commercial where he's like talking about how it's like the money of the future. And at the end, he goes like, do your own research. <laughs> and like that's, that's, that's what entered my brain there where it's just like, yeah, do your own research, research the meta, know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think like, that, that actually it, has like that actually has like some other connotations, right? Because it's like one of the things that like crypto people use to like sort of exculpate themselves of responsibility for someone losing their ass. It's oh, they didn't do their own research, you know, like uh, so I, I, I don't necessarily want to use that terminology, but that's kind of where that this that's where my head jumped. I heard Spike Lee saying, do your own research. And you're talking about that. Yeah, did, I, did I even say do your own research, though? I feel like I said spend time understanding. the. No, you didn't. But like, that's where my brain jumped. You were like, I was like, oh, he's saying to do your research on the metagame. Do your own research. And like the commercial just jumped into my head. Uh, but like, that's. Yeah, you need to know why they are doing what they are doing. If you want to beat them, you need to become them. Or at least understand why they're doing what they're doing. Hundred percent. Awesome. Well, closing it out. I don't know. Best of luck to everybody in like the sort of the last week here in uh, in the Zabu season. Has definitely. It's been a change up, right? It's been a huge. I mean, it's a longer season. It's yep. a longer season. Oh, there's actually something else I want to highlight because Go it's a longer season. I think there might be some people who get infinite this season and then are frustrated they can't get it in a shorter season. And I just want to point out, like you know, that's why you don't have to beat yourself up. Relax. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were gonna say like yeah your rank doesn't matter and she's like ah, oh, just <laughs> no like just understand the context right like don't 
if you if it took you five weeks to hit infinite, don't be surprised when it doesn't take you don't do it in four. Yeah. Uh-huh. For sure. I mean, this this season has been it's been really I mean, it's been interesting and not interesting, right? Because we had a convergence in terms of the metagame towards like these Zabu decks, but I think that, you know, in retrospect, over the weeks, we've seen a lot some quite a bit innovation in the deck lists themselves. I, I thought it was interesting. And you know, Zabu made a huge impact. Before Zabu came out, you know, Cam and I were, you know, we thought it would be impactful. We didn't think it would be, you know, completely meta shaping and everything is kind of about I mean, Zabu. I kind of did, didn't I? You keep saying like, like, didn't I say like, isn't the worst? Isn't like it, it like decently likely that the games just turned down to I play Zabu on three and snap it? Uh, you definitely like. Yeah. Wasn't that my actual one hundred percent fear? And like the thing I was talking about, where it's like, well, people talk about this, like it's like, oh, well, what about Silver Surfer and Sarah? And the difference is that you know Zabu is actually a fifty fifty. You're fifty percent chance to have it in your first six cards, and fifty percent chance that it's in your last six cards, right? With Sarah and Surfer, Surfer is like 75% chance that it's in your first nine cards, you know? Sarah, it's like a, a, a uh, I don't know the exact number for Sarah. It's 60-something, like 68 or something percent chance that it's in your first eight cards, right? Like, that's that's impactful. Yeah. That matters. And well, and the fact that it's it, it, it's a it's a higher variance, higher payoff card, while it may technically be balanced, it creates the exact game states that I was worried about when we reviewed it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I can get you to in 10, like a, like a 10, 20, 20 second answer, like really quick answer. Do you, are you okay. hoping for a, a nerf on Zabu to sort of switch up the meta? Or do you think that if Nabu doesn't get nerfed, we're just kind of, we're going to exist in that, in that sort of meta for a while, right? We're drawing Zabu on turn three is really important. We're playing a lot of four drops. We're just, I mean, discounting cards is fundamentally extremely powerful, right? Uh, my worry on a Zabu nerf is that it would exacerbate the idea that it's pay to win in this game because mm-hmm. there are going to be a bunch of people that hit infinite because of Zabu or the community will perceive them as having hit infinite because of Zabu and then they won't be able to play Zabu for free. They will never be able to play that super broken, awesome card that we all got to play for free. It, it's a very tough situation that second dinner has put themselves in with the way they decided to do uh, pool rotations. Anytime they nerf a card, there is going to be a certain amount of complaints that, oh, we don't even get to play with the good version of the card. And I, I think Zabu has put Zabu and Silver Surfer has put the flaws in how they designed card collection in this game in like it's basically the worst case scenario for how mm. they design card collection. Yeah, I think that's a good take. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm just like. Very much in deep thought because I think you're 100 percent correct. I think that they price themselves into to not not nerfing it immediately after the season. I don't know Plus. if they price themselves into it. I don't know how they're supposed to nerf it ever, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. issue. How are you supposed to nerf it ever? If it it okay, so you know you we we wait like the two months for it to become free to play and then nerf it when it's free to play. That's bad too. Mm-hmm. Like how are they supposed to do this? And it, it's one of those situations where the the, the less thoughts like this matter to their development and balance team the better for the game but like mm. this stuff is important unfortunately because yeah. of the the hole they put themselves in by deciding to make their card acquisition model like this so only people that paid money can ever play with the good version of Zabu. that sucks that's a good point it's it, 
Yeah, I wonder. It's like at what threshold? How degenerate do they let the the meta or the game right. get? At the cost, like it's a good this. thing. Next, next, next season pass. Like this is the issue, though. Right? I I talked about this way back when Nexus events were a thing, because the idea was, you know, the, these cards would eventually rotate into pool three. It'll be fine. And it's like, yeah, but what happens if you release something that's broken? And then the people, and then you have to nerf it. And then the pool three players, the free to play players, don't get it. They don't get the broken card. They get the nerfed version. Like, how is that anything other than pay to win? Mm. And like, I don't know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just like, you know, they, they really put themselves in a situation by making these two season pass cards so strong right. where these questions have to be raised and they're being raised by people who are, uh, let me put it this way, much less generous to second than I am. <laughs> like, uh, I feel like I'm raising these questions in like a fairly good faith manner and, and like not a very, you know, Reddit yeah. manner, you know? It's a, it's a really good point. It's like you said, like what you said there too. Oh, we don't drag this up, but like, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, if they did decide to move forward, with that they're like, we're going to prioritize the health of the meta kind of over anything. That's probably the right thing to do. Right thing to do. Um, but coming from a background or just, I mean, even a background in gaming, I would say card gaming to narrow it down. This idea of like something being actually pay to win, where it's like yeah. you actually get to pay money because you get to play with the card that nobody else gets to play with in the future. It's like that feels weird. So it's like it could that be okay. Said, Go ahead. Yeah, like that said, they should absolutely nerf that fucker. Right. <laughs> they should absolutely nerf that fucker. Because the uh, the issue is like, oh, you might get accused of being pay to win, but the game right now actually is. So get rid of them. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes episode five of the snapshot. Good luck in your in your final weeks of the the Zabu the Zabu season. What is it called? The uh, Savage Lands. But yeah, yeah. If you if you're enjoying our podcast, go ahead and head over to ratethispodcast.com/slash/snapshot. Shoot us a review. It helps out a ton. Honestly, I can't even put into words how much it helps with the uh, sort of the discoverability in the SEO. So check it out. Um, there's a video version of this, if you're not aware, on youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshots. And if you're heading over there, hit us with a subscribe. We're getting close to 1,000 subscribers, which is really exciting for us. Cam and I are both on Twitter. I'm at BrendanAPG. Cam is at KMBestMS, all one word. And Cam, your Twitch, what's your schedule look like? Are you still doing the everyday? Yeah, still am. I, uh, every day, 6 p.m. Eastern, I go live with high-level Marvel Snap and, uh, occasional jokes. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know. It's hard to sell yourself, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, be like, oh, I'm entertaining. Trust me. Like, you just watched me for an hour. If you're watching this, you know what I'm about. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to see more of that, check out my Twitch. If you want to see, uh, if you want to join my community, check out my Discord. It is a significant uh like like pretty decently sized competitive oriented marvel snap community the the links for it are on my twitch and you can also uh check out my youtube i i just did a tier list three of the decks we talked about today are the decks i put in tier one on my tier list and uh i think it's i think the tier list is sort of like a good way uh, a decent i like i'm not a bit i'm not the biggest fan of tier lists generally but I was able to get a good feel for this metagame. And so what I did was my tier list was just any deck in tier one, I would rather play over a deck in tier two and the same and, and like cascading onwards that way. 
So it's like the world's most subjective tier list, but also by the same token, the world's most honest tier list, because I don't claim to be ranking it by anything other than subjectivity. Awesome. We'll check it out. And I guess YouTube is, uh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't even get that out. YouTube (laughs) is KM best in a snap. It's get it. It's like, yeah, that's, I actually think it's, but quick. I love it. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a, I think it's a freaking great name. He's also Cam's uh, been uploading some shorts as well, and um, you might see me. Oh yeah, you're on minutes. one of them. Yep. Have fun. Yep, 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 yep. All right, we'll see y'all next week. <laughs> Later.